Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property, seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. I'm just so excited today to have a friend and a fellow spreadsheet junkie like myself join us for our segment. You guys know I'm all about the numbers because the numbers don't lie. The numbers do not allow us to tell a story to ourselves that is not true necessarily. And so we love to ring in the new year every year with, you know what, let's start back with the basics. And the basics are how do we find markets? How do we underwrite our properties? How do we analyze the data before we start making these great and massive decisions for our business? So without further ado, I have the infamous Kenny Bedwell here with us, founder of STR Insight. Kenny, I would love you to introduce yourself to the people and tell us a little bit about your journey, how you started as a financial researcher for Citibank and how you transitioned into becoming a real estate investor. What motivated that shift? Yeah. Boring, but I'm going to try to make it exciting. Yeah. Like a lot of individuals, corporate life was not for me, especially when they put me in some little cubby and there were no windows around me. And I'm like, this isn't how I'm supposed to be like working for the rest of my life. And it, it all stemmed with this like desire to have, get away from that and invest in real estate. I, I decided I like real estate and, and joined some meetups and was, was a bunch of old geezers sitting around talking about long-term rentals. There was one guy, this was in 2017, one guy is you got to check out this Airbnb thing. And I was like, okay. So we said that we got our first property and we're like, look, it's in a good long-term rental place. So if it flops, we just rent it out long-term. We're now a short-term rental and it, it killed it. And I was like, I got to keep doing this. And we kept doing it, doing it. Long story short, I ran into this issue where I'm like, great. I've got all these properties. I live in Buffalo, New York, but I want to invest in other places, but my budget's limited. So where can I go? And I had a hard time. I had a hard time finding the data because it was all they wanted to know the market, then they would give me the data. But I'm like, I don't even know the markets. You know, I only hear what's popular online. And so as short terminals got more and more popular, it, it got a lot more competitive. And so there was this need to create something where it asks the answers that first question. You only know what you know in terms of market. Where can you invest? And so that's how Esther Insights came along. That's how I got into that that space is, is getting in answering that question of where can I personally invest that fit my goals that other people are talking about. So 
Oh, I, I loved it. And and it's almost like we just parachuted into your life at that moment and you dove right in because oftentimes as it relates to all of the data tools that are out there, there's only a handful of tools that I use personally and that I believe um, that are giving me the right type of information that I could then utilize and tailor to what it is that I need. And SCR Insights is right up there. Um, one of the biggest struggles that I hear from our community, our fellow uh, docs that are investing, is, well, what's the difference between SCR Insights and AirDNA and Data Rabu? And there are a plethora of other tools. And one of the things I do want to warn the community, and I'm going to give a caveat, is Airbnb short-term rentals are and mid-term rentals are such a hot topic that everyone and their mother is coming out with some type of tool for your tool stack or technology tool that they want to leverage to be able to help us in operating our business. But not all tools are created equal. Not all tools are necessary. What we do annually, we're in the process of doing that right now, is evaluating our cost analysis for all of our tool stacks. Whatever we're not using, you want to evaluate and make sure that you're using the tools that you're using and those that you're using, you may want to do a cost analysis, see if it's worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, going to put that out there. I know it's off topic, but there are so many tools that are coming out of the woodworks. And I like Got to it. just only a few at hand. We don't need everything. You don't need all the things. I think sometimes it could lead to overwhelm. But thank you for diving into that, because that is one of the biggest struggles. It's like, where do I even get started? How do I get started? I have no idea. Perhaps for some, you can start in your own backyard. But for those of you in Hawaii and California, God bless you. I know you're looking for other markets. So let's dive in a little bit with SCR Insights. How is it that you came up with the idea? You know what? This uh, Nothing out there is solving for my problem. It truly was a gap before SCR Insights became the newest kid on the block. And what took you from, I can't, I don't have a market to, I'm going to create a tool that meets my needs because it's going to solve the problem for many others that are out there in the marketplace. What I found is actually SR Insights wasn't even supposed to be a product. It was just me getting some spreadsheets together and figuring out like how to answer these questions and piecemealing like different data sets and software I had access to and so on. And so it really grew from into a product when people convinced me that they were using it. Like I was sharing it with some of my investor friends, they were using it and finding properties. Kenny, you need to make this public. I had no intention on it being a public source product uh, software. So it was my fellow investors encouraged me to actually turn it into a software and share it with other people. And so I decided to do it. But to go back to everything, the biggest thing is I am an investor and that's how it started. That's how the purpose of the software is. And so we built it to be investor friendly for investors. And so how we analyze markets, how we look at data and the type of data we show in the tool is geared towards investors, not geared towards everybody. And another aspect of that too, is we've taken more on a role when you say, oh, what's the difference? When, and I get to, everybody asks the question, what's the difference? We provide software, but we also provide consulting and we work with people one-on-one. -on -one. And other software companies don't want to do that. They want to just provide you, here's some data, you figure it out, kid. But the reality is, especially with new investors trying to get the space, they have more questions beyond, oh, what markets? How do I find deals? How do I underwrite deals? And so 
what we've recently done in the last six months is we've gone back to our roots of who we truly are. We're not just software, we're consulting and we help people. We provide a way for people to do it themselves, but we also provide a way to help people do it. So it's like kind of our done with you approach. So we, we do both and I feel like that's really set us apart. Now, are we gonna be like a billion dollar company one day doing that? Probably not, but we're working towards actually helping people and solving like getting to an outcome. The worst thing that I want to hear from someone is somebody to say, Kenny, I use your software. I couldn't find anything at all. Mm. I'm like, why not? What were we doing wrong? You know, how, what is it? I want to help them because we need to achieve an outcome. So reality is we, we have all these differentiators, but the overall thing that I like to tell people is the difference between us and everybody else is we focus on your outcome. Mm. What's your outcome? Uh, every conversation I start with is, what are you looking for? What are your goals? What do you want to achieve? And then how can S-tier insights in our consulting services help you achieve that? So that's the difference. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, so it's so important to use data to make business decisions. And I think the ability to win in business is your ability to make the right decisions for your business. And I love that you mentioned a few things here, Kenny, and I do want to rewind a little bit. You mentioned evaluating the utility of the tool that you put out there, making sure that those end users are able to, to achieve their endpoint. I think that's amazing. But something you mentioned a little bit earlier that I, I wanted to highlight was you were going to a real estate club. I think people or real estate investment association in your local area. I think people sleep on those, right? Those are some of the best. Where they sleep in them. I don't, yeah. <laughs> and thank goodness there are Facebook groups out there as well. But there's right. nothing like being eyeball to eyeball with some of those codgers in your local area or the local area that you're looking to invest in to get some of those insights. Shout out to those RIAs out there. I got my first start. <laughs> And my, my first investing ideas uh, via those RIAs. Yeah. So if you're not, if you're not leveraging a community, guys, if you're not leveraging a community, you're missing out on opportunities and you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Trust, trust and believe. Okay. So let's go back. We're going to go back to data. Okay. So let's talk about how important, my question is, how important is data, Kenny, in making investment decisions in real estate? And we'll talk a little bit about a little more and let's, uh, dive in a little bit more about how STR Insights facilitate that process for investors. Right. So obviously, you know, a loaded question, but data is important, but there's two things to make because data by itself is not the end all be all. Right. You have to have, there's two things involved. There's data and there's ex expertise, right? So when I'm looking, there's 13,000 vacation markets across the country, 13,000, okay? There's no way, and I personally know every single thing about all of those markets and where to specifically invest in those markets. The data can tell me what are the best markets, what are the sub-markets, how well properties perform, amenities that do well, but it cannot tell me specifically what that street looks like. Is there, was there a shooting down the road? Yeah, sure, that property might look nice if I'm looking at a deal, I don't know that. And so when you take expertise and you mix it with data, you have, you really minimize your risk there. And so what I found is data is very powerful, but 
couple that with expertise of an investor who knows what they're doing. And then obviously maybe even a realtor who understands that area too, but asking them the right questions backed based on data is so powerful. So yes, data is very important and it drives every decision we make, but expertise as well. So I love just that. Just a whole nugget, I guess. Well, <laughs> I that, that's so good. I love that data and expertise. I'm a firm believer from that. And so for those who are listening, guys, I have leveraged realtors, property managers, those who are resources within that particular uh, community to give me a, a bit more insight into that area if it's a location that I'm not the most familiar with. So thank you for that reminder. That's amazing. So for our listeners who are contemplating their first investment, Kenny, what are the market indicators? What are some of like key market indicators that they should consider when evaluating a potential property for an STR? Okay, I want you guys to pull out a note and a pen. Let's get into it. So there's five key market indicators oh, yes. that you're really going to look for that you can get access to without having to, one, spend a lot of money on a ton of data resources, and maybe you don't even know where to find the data resources. But here are the five things that are going to protect you. So number one, active listing count. So this is one of the biggest ones I look for. And this is a personal preference, right? So meaning, are you comfortable investing in a market with five short-term rentals there? Probably not, right? So at what point are you comfortable? And that's going to reflect resources yeah. like cleaners, handymen, other short-term rentals, saturation levels, things like that. So active listing count is going to be important, but it, it's dependent upon you. So I will not invest in a market. My rule of thumb is invest in a market that has less than 100 active listings. Other people, I encourage them 500. Some people 1,000. They have to be in big vacation market based on their risk tolerance. So active listing is the first important metric that we can all figure out pretty quickly, whether it's using AirDNA or S-Tier Insights or Airbnb or VRBO in like any sort of tool out there, even free ones to get that information from. The next one that's also free is affordability. Can you afford to be in that market? Okay. So a lot of people like have their- the, the budget yeah. whittles it all the way down, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Exactly. So if it's, look, I have a $300,000 budget. Yeah. You're not going to be able to go to probably Destin, Florida and buy a place there. And you should figure that out pretty quickly, but maybe may, assuming a lot of your, a lot of your clientele are going to have a little bit of a higher budget mm-hmm. and that's okay. So what you can't afford to be in those markets, what can you afford to be in those markets? What's the bedroom count that you can afford? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is going to tie into the, the third point. So we've got, so we've got active listing count. We have affordability. We have optimal bedroom count. Mm-hmm. The last or the fourth piece, or not the last piece, the fourth piece is revenue. So all of us need to have, before we start looking for properties and looking in market, we need to have a revenue goal. Mm-hmm. What is it that we're looking to achieve? How much money do we want to make out of the property? How much do we want it to cash flow? Do we want to focus on cash? Like get our money back quickly? So what is that goal? How much we want it to make? So if I use an example here, if I have a $600,000 budget and I wanted to make a minimum of 100 gross revenue, okay? And I look at a market and I, yes, I can afford, there's $600,000 homes there and they're all four bedrooms, great, okay? And I want them to gross 100,000. Now I need to go into an SDR Insights or some sort of data tool and I need to find four bedroom properties and see if they make over 100K. That's just it. Don't dive into all the specifics yet. Just do this at a high level. Because you're going to find that a lot of markets 
those four bedroom properties that are $600,000 aren't going to make $100,000. Right. It's going to be, it's going to, you're going to go through quite a bit of markets. And so this process is helping us be more efficient. I call it casting a wide net and gathering in and then filtering out the stuff that doesn't make sense. We want to eliminate the markets that don't make sense and focus on the good ones and go down like a checklist. So you've got your revenue. So you find a market that you can afford the bedroom count, and then you have the revenue properties in that market. I say at least three to five, four mm-hmm. bedrooms that are doing at least 100K, because that's my goal. Okay, great, check. Now, the last and the most important one is regulation. Oh, yeah. So uh, what's no, the regulation? Oh. Can you even STR there to begin with? What is, is it certain zones? Do they have a cap? Is it, you know, you have to live in the area? What There's all of these different rules depending on if it's a city, a vacation market, all these different things. But those are the five things that you start out with. And if all five of those check out, then you potentially have a market you can invest in. Those are the five things that determine investability based on the data. Oh, I love it. I love it. This is good. This is so good, Kenny. I was not (laughs) expecting you to give us a breakdown like this. So listeners, you didn't (laughs) write it down. Go ahead. And rewind, okay, the last uh, minute and a half or so, because this is so good. And I think you've just given many of our listeners the blueprint on how to just narrow down and filter to the right market and the right property size, bedroom size that will fit into their budget. And so speaking of budgets, what advice would you offer about budgeting and maybe even financial planning for first-time investors? Notice how, how I'm pulling in past mm-hmm. your present. Your budget's going to be impacted by a few things like your down payment amount, so the type of loan you're going to do. But let's assume you're doing a second home loan 10% down, which is probably the most common. So you always need to keep in mind that obviously 10% down plus 3% in closing costs And then you've got to furnish a place, right? Most places aren't going to be turnkey. And if they are, you're not going to love the furniture. And I typically... Can we let that breathe for a second? For those sitting in the back, I'm going to need to let that breathe for a second. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to let you off the hook that quickly. The furnishings in that property, you're thinking, and this is, I made that mistake initially. I made it once. I didn't make it twice. I feel like we've all made that mistake. So if you're listening and you take that into heart and then you don't make that mistake, good on you. You're Sorry. like in the rarest, like 5% of Let's all short term investors. Let's help the people out. Please do not go in blindly and accept the furnishings of that previous. Don't, don't pay on top of for the furnishings. That's a mistake I see all along. Like, I can get it for an extra 20K. I'm like, okay, I was going to say 15K. You just want up me an extra 15, 20K. You're paying on top of it just to walk in and realize you need a dumpster. Yep. And you can hire someone to get all the crap out. Yeah, no. Yep. That's, oh, that is a classic mistake. It eats your timing. Right. You want to speed to market. It's easier to come in with new supplies, a a blank canvas and just start fresh with your style and your flavor. You're going to see crap in there. You're like, no way, Jose. Like I'm, I'm done with it. So don't buy. I honestly, I prefer things to be just empty because you're going to come in there and boom, they'll knock it out. Nine times out of ten, it's not a bonus that it's fully finished already. It is not. (laughs) In the rare occasion. Oh, hey, Kenny. No, and a lot of your listeners 
with like physicians. We work with a ton of physicians when we find them deals. Yeah. And they're like, I don't have time to do, I don't have time to live in this property for weeks because that's, you're going to be spending weeks there. And so you got to pay someone to take out that furniture and then bring in the new stuff. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I just, I let that go. You said it and, and it triggered me. It really triggered me. Yeah. So <laughs> you're like, yeah, I've had the same issue too. So yeah. So, so we'll save that. I think that's a good episode. We'll save that for another episode, but diving in. I will yeah. say though, the rare occasion where I allow it is if there are bookings already in the books and these are people who have stayed in the property again and again. I was like, okay, let's collect those funds and then we'll redo the furnishing. So anyway. All right. So as we like, going back to our question, what advice would you offer um, about budgeting financial plan for those first time investors? Yeah. So typically I tell people, depending on the type of property, but you're going to spend about five to $10,000 a bedroom. Yeah. So if you, let's say you buy a, we'll keep it super simple for me, $500,000 home, you know, 10% down, that's $50,000, 3% in closing costs. You're maybe at 60 K and then if it's a three or four bedroom, you're talking somewhere between twenty five to thirty thousand, maybe thirty five thousand in furnishings. So you're all in close to ninety, a hundred k. So that's assuming ten percent down loan. So that's how I how we budget things out, and it really yeah. And then that's not including a reno, yeah. an update, which some properties need that. They need so a budget, yeah. So I, I guess I don't have, I should really think about, oh, a hard and fast rule, but it really varies on the property. No, I think you're already giving us some things to think about that oftentimes our listeners aren't even sure what's to be budgeted for a bedroom or for a property. So that's, those are some good parameters, five to 10K per bedroom. I've had designers also provide square footage estimates of about, I want to say 15 to $25 per square feet, just depending. I think those land somewhere around the same when it comes to the level of furnishings and looking at closing costs, looking at what those down payment amounts are. And DSCR is so 10% down, I love. That is the second home loan. There's a DSCR as well. So those are typically about 20% down. So that's going to be more, right? Yeah. So something to consider. So that's good. All right, so let's talk a little bit about risk. My community is very risk averse, of course, and that's part of the analysis paralysis. I don't know what I don't know. Like, how do I, I don't want to invest because it's risky, but what I'm grateful for is we're a part of a community where we tend to know the risks, right? We know the risks involved in investing. We know how to mitigate risk also. So every investing strategy has risks. And there are some tools that we can add to our tool belts or some approaches that we can leverage to assess risks and mitigate risk. And going into a market blind, I think, is, is a problem. And one of the biggest things you said, I think, step five in our five steps for the first question that I asked was reg regulations. That's one of the biggest ways to de-risk is to look at regulations prior to going into to a market. So how do you recommend that investors approach assessing risk for their for managing their short-term rental. Yeah, so I think you touched on risk can come from different angles, right? You mentioned regulation, risk of market saturation, too many rentals coming in, drops in demand. Yeah. Big one too, and traffic and travel. 
natural disaster. What if you're in a beach market and there's a hurricane, right? There's all these like different things that that you have to take into account before you even, I think before you even find a market, you have to do some, I call it self-discovery or figure out your goals. So there's, pull out the notebook again. We're going to hit this, the goal thing. So there are three main goals that you have to determine. Okay. So number one, the easiest one is your budget. What can you afford? What do you want to buy? Just because you can afford a million dollar home. I, I love it when I ask people this, what's your budget? I got pre-approved for a million dollars. Do you want to buy a million dollar home? And they're like, ah, you're like, there it is. So what is it that you want to, like you want to purchase, you want to risk because it's risky. So what's your comfort level on that budget? Number one. Could number two. I, I jump in here real quick? Okay. Go ahead. I don't think I've ever spoken about this, but for our very first property, my husband and I, we decided, you know what? We want to be able to cover the mortgage ourselves, even if things were tight, but we want to be able to cover the more, like if something completely catastrophic happens, can we, with our W-2s, cover the mortgage ourselves for that very first property? And when we were able to say yes, we found the, the million dollars that we got pre-approved for, sure, without fitting into the, those numbers any longer. And that's how we were able to make that very first investment and say, you know what? If things were tight, we would be able to cover that mortgage and we would be able to swing it. And that really helped us to build our confidence. What are your thoughts about that, Kenny? Uh, yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. I would also say, too, having a rainy day fund. So we want about four right. to six months of operating yeah. costs as a rainy day fund. I love so, that. So uh, any type of purchase we have. So that includes utilities and mortgage and things like that. So I have, I have separate savings accounts for all my properties with a rainy day fund. Yes. So, love that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so number two are your personal preferences. So yeah. I tell people all the time that short-term real estate investing is both logical and emotional, meaning that we have some sort of personal preference on where we want to invest, why we want to invest in those properties, the, the type of properties we want to invest in. Because I, and, and people are, oh, I'm okay with investing anywhere. And I ask, would you invest in Alaska? Those, for those of you in Alaska, like you probably will, Lampins. but if you're not, like you're like, probably not. And so if that's the case, that's a personal preference because there are some really good markets in Alaska, but why aren't you going to Alaska and investing there then? So at that point, we, once we realize that we have to note all of our personal preferences, whether they're geographical, like meaning, and this deals with risk, right? I have to be able to drive to it or for my clients from California, they're like, I got to be able, it's got to be a one one flight or a flight in two hours. I don't know. I get all these like weird different things and that's totally fine. And, but that comes out first before we look for properties and especially markets, because you're going to find a lot of markets that you'll just eliminate because they don't fit your preferences and that's okay. That. So that will help you mitigate your risk and your comfort level with investing in those areas. So geographical is like part of that, but regulation tolerance, we don't want to invest in markets with zero regulation. We want to invest in markets with some regulation, but not where the community is out with pitchforks, like wanting to stab every new like short-term rental host, right? So vacation markets, traditional areas, right? About STRs, right? You've seen those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not a vibe. So a lot of the risk can be, should be mitigated at the beginning when we understand our personal preferences and what we're okay with investing in and not where seasonality, things like that. The last one, so we talked about budget. We talked about personal preferences. The last one are your ROI goals, okay? And this is going to really help you mitigate a ton of risk. 
So, so what I mean by that is I'm going to buy a, going back to my example of $600,000 home that I need to make a hundred K. Okay. That's a goal. That's an ROI goal. And that has to be like that revenue. It, there has to be a reason behind that. So why do you want to generate hundred K or how much do you want to make on, on a monthly basis? Why are you even buying short-term rentals? Like we figure out this like ROI goal and minimum so that when we actually go down the road and evaluate properties and markets, they don't make sense. If they don't hit that goal, you're not going to be comfortable buying it and you're not going to be sure. And there's a lot of risk there. And so when we set these goals in place, it allows us to really mitigate and set like boundaries to protect us, to help protect us from making bad decisions. That is so good. I love that. So guys, for those of you who are listening, Kenny just covered budget, personal preferences, and your ROI goals. And I love that she landed on the ROI goals because everyone's goals are a little bit different, right? It's customized to you. And so when you hear of a lot of hoopla or buzz around a specific market, that might not be a good fit for you. Does it meet your personal ROI goals? And if the answer is no, bet it's okay move on right there is a market out there for you and for your budget and for your goals so i love that yeah and i see another thing too with physicians especially during cost seg season <laughs> right a huge <laughs> and they're going i'm going to cost seg but then they're picking the markets where they have the worst cost segment oh can like we talk about that for a second yes let's talk, let's, let's talk about that okay first and foremost for those who are haven't been indoctrinated yet what is a cost seg let's start there oh man that's what we did to have ryan bakey like float right. in and be like oh. anyway right? and i I'll, I'll have him too but from a high level we'll we'll do a high yeah level. yeah so <laughs> a cost segregation is basically where you can offset some of your w2 income by accelerating the depreciation of a short-term rental property so you mm -hmm. take the 39 years and you wrap it up into pretty much five years, but it, the heavy amount comes on the first year. So it's very beneficial to offset W-2 to lower your tax bracket and your tax burden. You save a bunch of money that, especially if you make over $250,000. So the, the thing with cost eggs though, is it's based on the depreciation of the asset, right? Uh -huh. So the depreciation, the depreciation of the asset is based on land to building value. So if the land is really expensive, the building value is going to be pretty low. The the hence the cost seg benefit will be lower. An example of this is buying a property in Florida on the beach in Destin, for example. Yeah. You buy a property there for let's say seven hundred thousand dollars. It caught you will have assuming the property is the same size and some other variables. That property, a million dollar property in Destin, will have about the same cost seg benefit as a seven hundred thousand dollar property in Tennessee in the Smokies. Because the land value in Tennessee is like nothing. And it's all in the building. It's all in the cabin. The value is all in the cabin. So you have a better benefit from investing in markets that have a higher building value than land value. And if you don't know that, you're not thinking about that from the beginning, you're going to start looking in markets with high land or just all over the place. So it all goes back to the goals. Understanding that from the beginning and what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve out of this property is huge to where you should actually invest and to mitigate risk. Uh, so good. So good. So good. I love that. I absolutely love that. And so, for instance, 
I have some, I would just say a couple of days ago, one of my clients, they sent me a property in a rural area and they're looking at cost segs. And I could quickly tell that the depreciable asset was low. The property was, I want to say in the um, mid 300s, but it was out in rural Texas somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Texas has higher property land value. Like, so we just want to look at states. The easiest way to know, Kenny, what market should I, I get it all the time? Like people panic. It's like, just look at states, land, like the land value. So like states like where they have high property taxes. So Texas, California, Florida, mm-hmm. New York, some of your uh, West Coast, like all your West Coast states, mm-hmm. it ain't going to work there as well. Okay. Some of your red states, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, Wyoming, Montana, even Missouri, very great for cost segregation benefits. Yeah, yeah you're right. If it's not, if the, and if the property's not over 350K, it's not worth it. It's not worth it either. That's what we arrived at. So it was a no-go, but no, thank you for touching on that. Yeah. All right, so next question. I just have a couple more questions for you, my friend. So next question, could you share your personal journey, like a story that might inspire listeners? And I recall how you shared a demo with us in the past of the property that you found in upstate New York, or if you have another story like that, because a lot of people are saying, Kenny, there's no deals. There's nothing out there. So I want to inspire them to see, and we're going to take a a look behind the curtain as to how you were able to find a property not too long ago. Yeah. So I've like, since we've been focused on helping people find deals, we find them all the time. So like I found one this morning, I found one last night. Oh. Um, two days ago, I'm actually, I might, I'm thinking about putting one under contract. It was like, two, it's really? Yeah. So sometimes like, when I find good ones for me, I'm like, or just good ones in general, I'm like, I want that one. It, it is possible. And once again, it goes back to setting, setting boundaries. So uh, maybe I should tell this more in a story format rather than just do this and then boom. Some people like that. Some people don't. So I'll, I'll switch a little bit. But when I found my property, in a market I had never heard of before, even though it was like four hours from me. I'm not from New York, so I don't know a lot of places here. And it was pretty few years after I moved there, so still not super familiar with the area. Everything just aligned in terms of proximity, the goals for the market. So I look at the overall market performance, and this area is Watkins Glen, New York, on the Finger Lakes. And it was a five-bedroom property, or it's actually seven bedrooms with seven bathrooms. And it was in a market where there was strict regulation. So nobody wanted to invest there. So I'm looking for these places that just like no one's rushing to go buy these properties, even though they make a lot of sense. And there's like just, it's like these extra hoops you have to jump through. So mine was more on the regulation side, but for other people, it's more on like maybe the value add side. Like maybe they just need to add some amenities to the property. And we can see that in the data, like adding the hot tub or the fire pit or the game room or the theater room or whatever it is, we can see that. And so with Watkins Glen, it was easy for me from the regulation to go, wow, this property's doing really well. I just have to work with the city and try to figure out how to do it. And I was able to put the property under contract contingent upon it getting a permit. A lot of people know you can do that kind of stuff. And it's making, it's the stuff that the 99% of investors don't do, the hard stuff, calling the city, talking to the owners about what you want to do. Putting a contingent, asking if you can put a contingency in to get a permit. You can put a contingency in for anything. 
Like it, it's just doing these things that people assume you just can't do or uh, it's too much work. I won't want, I don't want to figure it out. And I got to figure it out. And now I have a property that I put under an LLC that when I want to sell it, all I have to do is transfer the LLC to somebody else and they can easily get the permit without having to reapply. So but you, you just find these little tricks and in places where people aren't looking and they're the 99%, I call it the 99% won't do because they, they literally won't do it. And that's how you, that's how you find deals today. I don't know. I was like, that's not good. Or I was trying to, I'm just, I was taking notes, Kenny, because that was so good. And you just dropped four nugget bombs there yeah. for the community. So those are some amazing gems. If I had a highly produced uh, situation, I would be like hitting on the gems so that it would explode. That was so oh, good. Yeah, yeah, that was so good. And you're right. There is a lot of hesitation with uh, this market needs a permit. And it's, yeah get the permit. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But what you just dropped with the LLC was a huge gem. And then what you just dropped with putting <laughs> it under. Yeah. With the whole next level. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. good. It's well, good. so good. And the contingency, that's a reminder that when you're in that position to purchase a property, you have an opportunity to negotiate a few things. And so I love the contingency for the well, permit to get approved. And so that was like the permit. And on the flip side, like more realistically, what we see too is just getting concessions for the property paid for today. It's a lot more common than it was a year ago. And we're we're seeing it like so one of my one of our clients who bought a place in Maine at one point three million. And he's like, Kenny, I gotta put a hundred thousand dollars of furnishings minimum in this place because it's huge. It was like a six bedroom. And and I said, Daniel, look. Let's offer, it's 1.3, let's offer 1.2. It's been on the market for over 100 days. Let's offer 1.2, $100,000 in concessions. You get that back at the table and you use that for your furnishings. He's like, all right, he did it. The numbers pencil out. He, he doesn't have to come out of pocket for that cash. That's so amazing. It, all of a sudden, the numbers just work. So it's, there's a bunch of different levers you can pull to make things happen. And sometimes it's just negotiations or looking at it from a different angle. Oh, I love it. These are so good. Love it, love it, love it. And I think now is the time to take advantage. Like you said, these concessions were not as common as um, they are today. So if we're not leveraging concessions, I think we're missing out on a lot of opportunities. Yeah, and not just closing costs. Most people think it's like closing costs. One, they talk to their lenders, which don't ask your lenders about concessions. Talk to the realtor and they negotiate all that good stuff. But there's more than just closing costs that can be paid for. So love that. So looking back, and I know that we've had our, our share of ups and downs with our investing portfolio. What would you say were some mistakes you made early on and what lessons did they teach you? Yeah. So after my first property and I was really trying to expand, I found this market in Arizona near the Grand Canyon and I bought some land there and i didn't realize that it was like a water hall situation where they didn't have like actual like plumbing stuff and so anyway i bought this land i was going to build a house i was like this is a sweet place we love visiting here it was purely like almost borderline lifestyle asset far away like grand canyon arizona so like maybe once a year but but i was like this market does the well the properties do well here blah 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 and then all these like 
just speed bumps one after another is the water hulls literally you have to pay for someone to bring you ship you water what is a water hall what is it in the big barrel there's no wells there there's no like city water lines or anything there you're in the middle of the desert really yeah that's a thing that, that is a thing yeah yeah <laughs> and i'm like Oh, like I'm learning about all this. Like you have to have this big cistern that holds the water like 5,000 gallons. And I'm like, okay, if you buy this property, you need a bigger one. You're going to need to bury it because it could freeze and all this different stuff. I'm like, what did I just do? So long story short, I own a piece of land in the middle of the desert in Arizona. (laughs) That was my mistake for not doing that. It was was just, it it was too emotional from the beginning. And I, I was already like, I, I sunk in on it because it was emotional and oh, not doing that pre-research that I should have. <laughs> and it sounds, even now I'm listening, I'm like, it sounded like a good idea, right? Yeah. yeah. You know what? Property taxes on that sucker is like 20 bucks a year and it's appreciated like 10% in the last, like, you know, <laughs> it's not a, a complete loss, but it is just sitting there. And it was, I did spend some money getting designs and blueprints. And that's when I learned all the headaches. Wow, so, okay. Anyway. So you're listening to the people who are listening. Is that emotional component? How yes. to check ourselves? Yes. So emotional, don't make emotional buys. Mm-hmm. Like I, going back to the end. Yes. Short terminals are logical and emotional, but you got to keep it logical. And you need to need to understand your numbers from an underwriting perspective of expenses. That's where I messed up. And the revenue as well. I only dove into the revenue. I didn't fully understand all the expenses associated with building that property and running and maintaining it. So, and it really would make sense. So, yep. So I own some land in Arizona. <laughs> so, yeah. If anybody needs a camping spot or a place to put their RV while they're going to the Grand Canyon, just hit me up. It's right off the highway there. It's in a great well, location. <laughs> There's nothing on it. Anyway. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I know that you're a big proponent, like I am, in at least managing your property yourself for the first year, if not longer. What tips would you offer? for managing your time effectively, your responsibilities effectively. I know you're a dad, I'm a mom, we're juggling all the things. Any tips, tricks, or hacks you'd like to share with my community of busy physicians and busy doctors, busy professionals? We have attorneys, engineers, all sorts of busy people. Surround yourself because you can afford it. Surround yourself by experts. Mm. So whether that's literally somebody, so like with some of our clients, some of our physician clients and so on. They paper designers. We have people who they set up their pricing for them. This guys, this will save you so much time and frankly, make you money when you surround yourself by experts and have experts help you do this stuff. That also minimizes your risk too. So don't just think you have to do it all yourself. All right. So number one, surround yourself by experts. Number two, leverage technology. Okay. I'm sure you talk about a lot, Rachel, but there's a ton of great software that automates a lot of the stuff that you do. We really don't need property management these days, to be honest. I, we can run the properties ourselves. Yeah. So, and it's because of technology, right? Mm-hmm. So technology is key. And then I think number three is just the mindset that you can do it, right? And I, I guess let me put an A real quick before I go back to that one. <laughs> I use a VA. You can hire a VA. I've, and that's a recommendation. I'm sure you talk about that too. Use a VA, use technology. But then three, you can do it. That's the mindset. 
lot. You're doing it. I'm doing it. We're all like, we have, we run other businesses. Like we're, we have kids. They take the time of a bit. That was the same time as a, you can do it. So if we can do it, we're, and frankly, guys, we're not that special. We're not that special than you. I'm probably dumber than you are. You got all the guy, you guys have doctorate degrees, like all this, like PhD. I, I have just a bachelor whatever, working on a master's, but I'm not that special or smart. So if I can do it, you can definitely do it too. So the only thing stopping you is your mind. Oh, I love it. And that segues into our final question is any key takeaways that you would like to share with our audience and let us know how uh, we can get in touch with you. And I'm going to share all of your links in the show notes that's going to be attached here. I want to go back and emphasize that first point again. Use experts around you, whatever it is. Photography. I'm sure you talk about photos all the time, professional photography. I pay photographers. I'll pay a photographer $2,000 to shoot my property because the ROI on it is so high that it just doesn't matter. Somebody just set up your pricing. I think it's like you can pay someone like $500 or $1,000. Who cares? They'll set it up right better than you will. Okay. Same thing with attorneys and like filing your taxes and stuff like that. You have CPAs. You understand this, but with someone who, with your time being so precious and valuable, leverage the community, leverage those around you that you can team yourself up with and have this essentially like a super team around you of individuals who are, know what they're doing to help you be successful in the industry, whether that's working with Rachel or whoever it is, that's going to be the best and safest way to get ahead in this game. Love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kenny. And guys, be sure to give Kenny a follow. Kenny, what's the best way we can get in touch with you? You can, number one, you can follow me on Instagram at Kenny Bedwell. Message me on Instagram if you want to. You can, I have a Facebook group, the STR Data Host. Message me in that. I don't know. And, and then STR Insights is right? our website. So STRinsights.com. Podcast too, right? Yeah, my pod. Yeah, I'm, like my I'm promoting my podcast on your podcast. Great. I love You're it. like this guy. I will never invite him again. Yeah. Sorry, this was a gift and I had a recording today for something else I wanted to wear for this. It's STRonomics is my podcast. It's all about data and macro trends in our industry. Yeah. I love it. I love it. As we conclude, guys, let Kenny's story be a beacon for all who are facing burnout, who are seeking new horizons in real estate investing. Everything is figure outable and STR Insights is one of the tools that we use to figure things out. So remember, informed decisions and bold steps is not just a possibility, but it helps you to transform your strategy. And it's totally promising when you have the right tools and the right data at your fingertips. So embrace this journey, my friends, and I look forward to connecting with all of you soon. Bye-bye for now.